0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair.
1: It's such an honor to present this next award.
2: And here are the nominees. And...
0: I'm Katie Ritchie, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com. I'm back. Thank you uh, for holding on the fort without me last week. Congratulations to Jeremy Strong, my number one. Um, I'm here with Richard Lawson, our chief critic. Hello. And it's just us. Uh, yeah. After you guys had this, like, Murderer's Row panel for the Emmy nominations last week, um, we're, we're on our own today but we have lots to talk about, which is always a good thing. And then um, in the back half of this episode, I'm going to be talking to Wendy Guerrero and Gina Davis, who are the co-founders of the Bentonville Film Festival, which is kicking off in Arkansas next week. It's not, I don't think, the first film festival to happen since COVID, but it's a pretty high-profile one. It's coming ahead of TIFF and Telluride and these other festivals that we'll be talking about. And um, I'm really interested to talking to them about how you do something like that, and specifically Bentonville, since it has a focus on underrepresented voices in film. I think it's a really timely time for it, so we'll get into all of that. And obviously, Gina Davis is a pretty exciting guest to have on the show. But first, Richard, we're kind of picking and choosing all the random little things to talk about. After you got after we got into Emmys, there's movies to talk about. And we were going to talk about the Toronto lineup, which we will, but then breaking news yesterday, um, what has become maybe my most anticipated movie of the pandemic times, The Woman in the Window, might be uh, seeable soon. Um, What's the deal with Woman in the Window? And um, why does this development kind of make sense, actually?
3: Well, so it was a Fox movie, right? And it's directed by Joe Wright. So it's his follow-up to um, The Darkest Hour, which won Gary Olden an Oscar. It's his foray into the I don't know what territory most recently notably forged by David Fincher in terms of like a prestige director taking a big, juicy, you know, airport novel hit, in that case, Gone Girl, in this case, The Woman in the Window, and turning it into, you know, a prestige kind of movie. It has a crazy cast starring Amy Adams and uh, it kept getting delayed i think they had to do reshoots like it just it seemed like it was maybe a problem production partly because the author of the novel had a thing written about him where he was maybe a little bit of a pathological liar and so this weird paul got cast over the movie and yet like i think at least my interest and your interest and people I know's interest was still really high. And we were all wondering when it was finally going to come out. And then it was announced this week that like Disney is in talks to just sell the movie to Netflix, which in some ways feels like a disappointment because, you know, maybe something that kind of fun and buzzy and, You know, possibly silly, uh, would be best enjoyed uh, in you know in group setting in in a in a on a big screen. But that it's going to be on Netflix potentially means that yeah, like you said, we'll get it that much sooner. Which um, was cause for much excitement on a particular group text thread that I'm on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the fact that it's going to be on Netflix, like you miss that group setting in a theater, but as we all know, that's not possible for a long time. And I think Netflix movies have a power more than anything beyond, like, maybe Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, like, of being like, all right, everybody, this is the movie we're watching this weekend. Like, I think Netflix has their, like, Netflix party thing where you can actually, like, group watch something. I feel like The Woman in the Window is, it's going to be a little silly. I mean, I read the book. The book is pretty silly. Um, I hope that Joe Wright, who, you know, has a, a penchant for dramatic flourish in some of his best movies, like, might be able to bring some of that to this. Um, it, it feels like something that could show up on Netflix and be the next campy Netflix y hit?
3: Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, they've been doing a lot of really successful, you know, d- d- judging by like what is listed as like, you know, the top 10 things being watched in America at the current moment that Netflix has started doing on their homepage. Like their thrillers, like, um, Dangerous Lies and A Fatal Affair, like, those movies do well. Um, and those yeah. are But those are, like, deliberately, like, B movies, you know? Um, and so here's a chance to say, okay, so the Netflix audience really is into these kind of domestic thrillers, if you want to call them that. Here's one with, like, this glittering, you know, all-star cast. Um, it's not just Amy Adams. It's also uh, Gary Oldman, Julianne Moore... Tracy Letts um, adapted A.J. Finn's novel and is in it, I think, Um, but he did the adaptation. So like there's another thing about like trying to quote unquote elevate what was a, you know, sort of airport hit novel. So I, I don't know. It feels like a perfect combination of factors to make it like a really, really big Netflix hit, like maybe kind of along the lines of like Bird Box or something which also had a prestigious director, but was kind of a B-thriller, but had a huge A-list star and an Oscar-winning winner
0: winning star. Um, and was a huge hit. Like, you know, oh, Netflix hits m- are... Yeah, like, we never really know the real numbers behind it, but, like, Bird Box had, like, a meme attached to it. Like, yeah. it, it had cultural penetration.
3: Yeah, exactly. and And, yeah, so I think, you know, and look, like, <laughs> going back to that group text thread, I think that we've been so eager for it, maybe like you have, Katie, because it just feels like a movie movie, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not trying to, you know, it, it's just trying to be fun and exciting. And like, and I think that's why, like, the old guard was so good. And, and, yeah. and because plenty of movies are trying to be those things. But like, when they have that extra patina of gloss and fanciness, it can, in, in a corny way, feel like you are at least, I don't know, astral projecting out of your house if you're not actually <laughs> physically leaving your house to watch the movie.
0: Well, this is something I felt um, watching Black is King, which is a really different kind of movie, and it was on Disney Plus. It's the Beyoncé uh, visual album, um, but it's so lavish and beautifully made, and in mm-hmm. all these locations and all these amazing fashion and costumes. It, it feels you're like, like, oh, the world! Like, look at, look at what's possible. And it, it makes me also sad to think about when well, we're going to start running out of things like that. But that's a that's another problem to address. Um, but yeah, the idea, just having stars doing things on your screen and something you haven't seen before—it feels really special right now.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, like, we're all craving an event. Um, mm-hmm. And the Beyoncé visual album was certainly that. Um, and it will continue to be because it's just, you know, streaming. I feel like Lemonade, when that came out, like, it was available and then it really went away kind of quickly. Like, you couldn't rewatch it a bunch of times. Hmm. Like, maybe yeah. it was th- then it was later put on HBO, I think. Like, but this is just on Disney+, Plus, you know. And yeah. so, and, and the same with Woman in the Window. Like, you can have this kind of rolling... Eventness to it and people can rewatch it and, you know, people can meme it and all that stuff. And I think that like, you know, I know that different parts of the country are reacting to COVID in different ways. And so some people maybe, you know, they're going to restaurants and things don't feel as cloistered as they do for some of us, but yeah, but I don't when know. The I,
0: window is set in New York city. So uh, it's, it's yeah. about, <laughs> it's about and still it's being about stuck in your apartment. In, right? I, know, yeah, I know. So it's like
3: kind of perfect. And I made a me a little kind of Giphy joke, Yesterday, based on a, a conversation on this text thread, um, you write know the we, text
0: thread on next week's episode. We need to have well, we need this uh, panel. one of them
3: has been on the show, I think, mm. um, but. I guess there was some dim hope that the movie could be a little Oscary, especially for you know Six Time uh, also ran Amy Adams but I, that would seem to go away uh, if Netflix takes it although with the Academy shifting its rules who really knows but you know I don't know that anyone actually really needs it to be an Oscary movie I think we just want it to be a juicy good time which it promises to be.
0: Well, we should also note that Netflix also has Hillbilly Elegy, which is the other Amy Adams, like, prestige-ish movie this year, and with her and Glenn Close, the famous uh, many-time Oscar losers. Um, We still don't know, as far as I know, what Netflix's plans for all their potential awards contenders are. Like, they're not on the TIFF lineup so far. You know, it's going to be an interesting scenario for them. I think we've discussed on the show how, like, they have a platform to get these movies seen more than anybody else. Um, But anyway, it could be an interesting, like, run-up to the Amy Adams Oscar campaign for Hillbilly Elegy, such as it is. Um, I'm, sure. I would imagine even Netflix doesn't quite know how that's all going to play out.
3: Yeah, I mean, Hillbilly Elegy is an interesting case because it was, a, you know, a really, like, seismic book, but of late, the author of it um, has been very, like, loudly conservative on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that many people are paying attention to anything like that, but I wonder if that will affect it at all. But I, I kind of doubt it. I don't think, I think that it's going to be viewed as, you know, a discrete sort of, you know, star-studded memoir movie. Glenn Close is also in it. Um, but Netflix also has, in less than a month, when this episode posts, um, a Charlie Kaufman movie coming out mm-hmm. based, based on another popular kind of thriller novel called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um, and that has uh, Jesse Buckley, who broke out so big last year in Wild Rose, um, Jesse Plemons, uh, Tony Collette, David Doulas. You know, so so I feel like Netflix is, like, really helping... Me at least get into the mindset of fall movie season, um, especially with this latest announcement. You know, and like whatever Disney's reasons were for dumping the, I think it's the last Fox two thousand asset that from that kind of folded little shingle, I guess at twentieth, whatever their financial reasons for doing that were, it was never their movie, and I guess they could have just put it on Hulu, but that's only an American streaming platform, so why not just sell it globally to Netflix and make a boatload of money? You know, yeah. Um, But whatever their reasons for it, like it's Netflix's gain, and you know. The more I kind of, the more Stockholm syndrome sets in with Netflix. I'm like, it's good for us. It's our gain too.
0: <laughs> I mean, they really—they uh, are the streaming service of the pandemic. I mean, I was—I so was looking through. Um, we were talking about maybe looking ahead at what other movies, like Woman in the Window, we might want to like look to see if they're going to pop up. And like a, a shoe, a theatrical release, which it feels like a lot of really big titles are waiting on. And I started wondering about Deep Water, the uh, is the Adrian Lyne movie. That's the uh, the uh, the one where Ana de Armas and Ben Affleck met and have since become you know the the couple of the pandemic really banana. I yeah exactly. Um, I wonder if that might do. I don't know if it would sell to Netflix, but that you know the idea of like a sexy psych- psychological thriller like. I'm not yeah. sure a theatrical release for that is what you're going to be like holding out for, so maybe we'll get to see that sooner.
3: Yeah, actually, I just bought it yesterday, so um, oh, I'm going to yeah. figure out how to get it out there. I think I'm just going to okay. post it to my Twitter account. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah,
0: Anna Darmis just sold it to you on a street corner. Weird. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I was I was standing outside of Dunkin' Donuts in LA.
1: Um,
3: <laughs> no, but I think that's a great example because that's a movie that like has all of this bizarrely, you know, intentional or not, I don't know. Like who knows how cynical their publicists are, but like all this kind of like buzz like for months now during quarantine of like you know banana banana whatever like and now it's (laughs) like oh and there also is a movie where they're like sexy and in love or whatever the movie's about you know so I feel like that could be another seismic thing you know I think we might just have to resign ourselves to the fact that like those big eventy things this year in 2020 and possibly into 2021 are going to have to happen from our couches um yeah You know, which is maybe, I don't know, is that a good pivot point to um, fall festival stuff? Because sure, yeah, things coming. Thinking
0: of things going to happen from our couches. um, Yeah, last week, the Toronto Film Festival announced more titles that they're adding to their lineup. Um, And I think we talked previously about how it was like a pretty low key list. It's only 50 titles this year, which compare. I mean, Toronto has had like hundreds of films in their lineup before. So this is really uh, low key. The opening night film will be a Spike Lee documentary about a David Byrne Broadway show, which sounds fantastic. I'm not sure. It's something we'd be talking about in Oscar terms just because of the nature of, you know, concert documentaries. Um, but then Chloe Zhao's Nomadland got added. That's the uh, the movie with Frances McDormand traveling across the country. That That's a major film. Um, and it's a Fox Searchlight release. I think we had talked about how companies like Fox Searchlight, who have these longstanding relationships with uh, festivals like TIFF, might want to kind of throw them a bone and help them with a the big title. And that feels like exactly what's happening here. Like, they know that this isn't going to be the TIFF launch you might normally expect. But... TIFF has earned the right to have a movie like Nomadland.
3: For sure. And it also, you know, gives me some glimmer of hope that under the new Disney ownership that, like, Fox Searchlight is still... In play, you know, that they're still one of the kind of uh, indie distributors, if you want to call them that, that um, is functioning and is like yeah, thinking towards the future. they indie
0: anymore now that they're you know,
3: Yeah, I mean, they used to be. They, and they would, they would acquire things, you know, so that's yeah, kind of yeah, how, yeah, sure. how they got that. I mean, I guess they're, they're now just sort of like smaller, artier movies um, within a big studio. But yeah, I think that. That Nomadland is also coming at such an interesting time for Chloe Zhao because, you know, she had her huge breakout with the writer, which um, I believe premiered at Cannes in a sidebar. And then later, like almost a year later, went to Sundance. It was a big hit, won a bunch of awards. She also has a Marvel movie in the Cannes yeah. that was supposed to come out this fall, The Immortals. So I don't know what that's when that's been rescheduled to, but like, I feel like this is an interesting... Roadmap for her, where she like, you know, solidifies the already cred potentially with this movie this, with Frances McDormand You know, um, it's I think it's her her first movie with like a big famous person in it. Um yeah. And then she's like, then it's off to the kind of more commercial races with The Immortals. So, yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm really curious about it. I I for whatever reason, I think it was rumored to have been at Cannes, but then it wasn't in that lineup announcement. I don't think. And like, I, I, there's been a, a weird sort of. Because I think people thought it was maybe going to be ready for last year and then it wasn't. Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like
0: I've, I've seen that still of Francis McDormand in Nomadland for a long
3: yeah. time. So I think for whatever reason, just like all the cynics that I talk to about these things, like, are like, well, that movie's got a stink on it, you know, like, something's wrong with that movie, and it's like, I don't think that's true. You know, If Beale Street Could Talk had that same kind of rumor mill surrounding it, yeah. it mm-hmm. you know, and it did that did not be, prove to be true at one, you know, an Oscar got nominated for several others, so it's fine. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I'm really curious about that movie, and I really am curious in terms of the zhao of it all, like, what what her next 6 months is going to be like.
0: Yeah, cuz you imagine Immortals like the way that Marvel stacked up their movies like it's going to it has like Black Widow's got to come out first. So it's going to be forever before Immortals comes out maybe. Um I don't know what they're going to do. Um but yeah, like this is a cha- like the narrative for her and the development of her career is going to go differently than she thought it would as it will for, you know, so many people. Yeah. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone.
3: Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries.
0: Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly and Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Wondry's new podcast, Blame It On The Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.
0: But speaking of Beale Street, Regina King's directorial debut is going to debut at TIFF, which is um, fascinating. I didn't know about this movie at all until it was on the TIFF lineup. Was it uh, familiar for you?
3: No, no. I didn't know that she had a movie that she'd made I, I think that the focus for me on, on, on King in the recent months, I guess, or least the last year, was like the amazing one two punch of like winning an Oscar and having Watchmen, you know? Yeah. Like I that mean, she's pretty...
0: she like writing as high as a human being can right yeah,
3: now. Yeah. And and, and and a deserved Oscar and, uh, you know, a really like deserved like hit TV show. So, but yeah, this is cool. And, and you know, did you, I don't know if you read the, the log line on IMDb, but I'm just going to read it because it's like, it's just like, oh, wow, this is like a heavy hitting movie. Um, in the aftermath of Cassius Clay's defeat of Sonny Liston in 1964, the boxer meets with Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown to change the course of history in the segregated South. Like, that sounds like a big movie. Uh, Or it could be small and talky, but about big things.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's based on on a play, I think, so, you know, you can imagine. um, And it's Alvis Hodge,
3: Leslie Odom Jr., Lance Reddick. Like, it's a good, um, it's a really interesting cast, and I'll be really curious to see I mean, she has such good taste, as an actor, like she picks really Mm -hmm. interesting projects and you know, works with interesting filmmakers and has done interesting television. And, you know, this is not her first time directing anything. She's directed actually a good number of episodes of television. Um, So she's got that experience under her belt, you know, and I'm really curious to see, we've had a lot of interesting, you know, actor to director, Greta Gerwig, most recently, most, you know, most kind of notably, I would say emerge in the past few years. So I don't know. I, i I'm very curious about that. And it was, I think a kind of surprise last minute inclusion. I, my guess is that they were scrambling to finish it and then they did.
0: Yeah, well, it's an Amazon release. So that's something that you can imagine us being able to see. Um, I mean, in the press release, it said Amazon Studios is planning to release One Night Miami later in the year with an eye towards the awards corridor. So, um, you know, as we wonder when the world will be eligible for Oscars, here we have we got one thing, add it to the list. Um, anything else from the TIFF lineup that um, that really caught your attention? I mean, so we don't know exactly how we'll be seeing any of these TIFF films. Like, no press right. is invited to Toronto, but presumably there will be some kind of online screening room set up. So presumably we'll be seeing it soon. Um, what else are you excited for?
3: Yeah, my understanding is it's almost going to be, it's not going to be on Zoom, but it'll be like be online at 8 p.m. on Saturday, September, whatever. And then yeah. something will go live at some server in the delight Box, you know, in Toronto, <laughs> which, you know, it sounds like a, a, a fair conversation. I guess um, I think it's it, the best we can you know, do, really. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. Like, I mean, and, and maybe that'll allow more press people access, which would be ultimately probably good um, because you know these festivals can be really cost prohibitive for people who are freelancing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or um, anyway, so I think the biggest one for me, in for maybe half cynical reasons, um, that's going to be at Toronto is a movie called Good Joe Bell, directed by Reynaldo Marcus Green. Um, I think I mentioned it a few months ago in, in kind of our, our look ahead to the year to come, well, before we knew what was actually coming. And that's a movie starring Mark Wahlberg, about a guy whose son who is gay is murdered in a hate crime, and the father goes on a walk across the country to sort of raise awareness for the cause, I guess, of, you know, human rights and social justice. And it's crazy
0: that we're going to have Mark Wahlberg and Francis McDormand walking across the country in a single yeah, film festival. Maybe
3: they'll meet halfway. Maybe that's what <laughs> this is. Actually, all. I feel like
0: they could. He could really gain a lot from that interaction.
3: Yeah, yeah, you know. And so that's interesting. It's written by Larry McMurtry and Diana Osana, who wrote *Brokeback Mountain* or adapted it from mm-hmm. the Annie Proulx short story. And Reynaldo Marcus Green is a really interesting director. He had a movie called uh,
0: Monsters and Men.
3: Monsters and Men. Thank you. That was about police brutality. That was at Sundance a few years ago. That was beautifully directed. I think the the script in that movie was a little, um, I don't know, less than nuanced. But um, but the the film was really interestingly directed and and really well acted. Um, so I'm I'm really curious to see what that movie is all about. And I think for Mark Wahlberg, someone who, you know, has never been overtly uh, on the other side of the gay rights issue but like has certainly been in a lot of projects that seem that about people who are don't are big fans of gay people and produced a show like entourage that um, also <laughs> was not very kind to gay people so it just feels like a little bit like maybe Mark Wahlberg trying to rise to meet the current, moment of social justice. And, and that's where the half cynical thing comes in, because I'm, I'm curious to see how he pulls that off. And I'm curious to see if it seems a bit calculated. But whatever it is, I'm like, really, um, I'm just infinitely curious about how that like a, a feel good gay rights drama starring Mark Wahlberg plays out. Yeah.
0: Well, there's another, I don't know if it's a gay rights drama, but Vigo Mortensen uh, directed a film that's going to be at Toronto called Falling, um, about a gay man attempting to care for his conservative father. And it's him and Lance Henriksen, um, with also a role from David Cronenberg, which, you know, he and Vigo Mortensen go way back. So it, it's interesting how the, like, actors between him and Halle Berry and uh, Regina King, actors who are directing is uh, an interesting theme of this TIFF lineup.
3: Yeah. And, you know, the, the Vigo Mortensen movie was the closing night film at Sundance this year. And usually that is like an indication that the movie's not great um, for whatever reason. But actually it got, the people who stuck around long enough to see a screening of it, um, apparently it was quite good. Like it got good reviews and stuff. So, and it, that was also going to be at Cannes in a sidebar, I believe. Mm. So I'll be. I didn't. I didn't see it in Utah, so I'll be curious to see it there. And then there's also Ammonite, um, mm-hmm. which was I think going to play the big three. I think it was going to be at Venice, Telluride, and Toronto. And that's a movie by Francis Lee, who made *God's Own Country*. Uh, a really great um, gay sheep farmer movie that everyone should seek out if they want. That was the, the that was
0: the George MacKay breakout right, right? I think No no that, no that?
3: that's um uh, it's the uh, I forget his name it's no it's not George MacKay but he's of that exact generation of like kind of big eared cute British guys. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> the um, Jamie Bell 20s.
0: generation of oh, Josh O'Connor the, um, Josh from O'Connor, The Crown right. The oh crown. my god exactly. yeah god he and George yeah. MacKay if they're ever in a movie together I'm doomed yeah. I'll never be and able, there's able to tell also, the difference.
3: there's also Callum Turner who looks oh, yes. very much like Joshua O'Connor, and they're all really of a piece. George yeah. Mackay stands out because he has a different hair color. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway, um, so Ammonite is interesting. It's Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan, so two big, um, you know, awards, heavy hitters, playing uh, real-life people. Kate Winslet is playing a famous uh, British paleontologist. My understanding of the real story is that no one really actually knows if this woman was queer and then if she had a relationship with this other woman. So the movie is sort of... I think, heavily speculating about that, which might, you know, kind of rankle some. But whatever it is, it's, it's being distributed by Lionsgate. Whatever the truth of the, the real story is, so much of that is conspiring to be awardsy, including its, like, major presence at, like, several big festivals um, mm-hmm. this fall and also the chance which a narrative everyone likes is like Francis Lee coming out of the smaller the more art house in, and then in, you know doing a bigger thing with bigger stars and um, and seeing how that goes I mean it's similar to what Chloe Zhao is doing um, yeah exactly yeah, so I'll be curious about that one too
0: yeah, and it's on the um, the list of the Telluride lineup that was announced um, last week or this week and within the last few days, basically what the Telluride Film Festival would have looked like. Um, and we were talking about before we were recorded, it's basically a way for these films to say like, hey, we were a selection for this film festival, even if it never happened. Telluride is canceled entirely, unlike TIFF. So do you, do you think it's uh, interesting at all that Telluride did this and kind of announced what they would have done?
3: I mean, I get why they want, because they want to say that like, we saw these films, we considered them worthy of... Being in our lineup, you know, um, I, 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 maybe it's seen a little bit as like a concession to filmmakers who I'm sure are very disappointed. To, for whatever reason, the movie, the people distributing their films want to have them out this year, and, um, and thus you know the filmmakers don't get to experience the in-person festival thing. So maybe it's at least just Telluride being like, well, you know, we see you. But I was saying to a, a friend and colleague yesterday when all this news was was coming out, like, for me as a potential attendee of any of these festivals, um, who is now obviously not, it stings a little bit more than if they just hadn't on anything i guess <laughs> it just feels a little bit like here's what could have been and it's like mm-hmm. why why are you like teasing us with this like ghost you know that like yeah. doesn't it was never gonna it's never gonna exist like it just feels i i almost wish that like telluride had just kind of gone dark and and just like not said anything yeah um i know that's a selfish um kind of sentiment but that's just kind of what struck me because i get it with toronto because they're actually going to screen these things as is venice yeah um but not with telluride so
0: yeah, you do look at the like the sh- the long shorts and the student prints that are on the selection list. from tell you right, and you get why. Like for those films, it's a really um, major selection and like a-, a moment for them. Like I'm not sure what difference it makes for the Pete Souza documentary um, about being Obama's photographer, but you know, I-, I think all of these any movie that is small enough to be at a film festival kind of needs. the the support these days so
3: yeah and like you can put on your resume like you know made this film that was selected by the telluride film festival and only if someone squints in a few years and does the math they're like wait 2020 you know like like i think people might just like assume that it played in person so yeah i mean I i think that whatever imprimatur these festivals can give to a smaller film like i'm sure they're grateful for it it's just such a bummer for them i'm sure that also that it's not happening in the in the traditional way
0: yeah this year everyone gets their chance to have the event that they wanted to go to that they didn't get to like in in the spring it was all the graduates and now for us it's fall festival season we just get to look back at what we didn't get to do
3: so another narrative that i'm kind of seeing emerge from these fall festival lineup announcements is a centering more on prestige television um Mm. than has existed before i'm I, uh, you know, there's a Mir Nair fil- uh, series uh, called A Suitable Boy that se- seems to be like an epic about four families in India. That's going to be at Toronto in what capacity? I don't know. I don't know if they're going to screen all six episodes or if they're just going to show a couple. They, I mean, you know, film festivals have been figuring out how to do that over the past few years. You know, Cannes showed all of Jane Campion's second season of Top of the Lake, for example. Mm-hmm. There's also this really intriguing project um, at the New York Film Festival. Steve McQueen, the director of Twelve a Slave and most recently Widows, um, is doing this anthology series. Um, I think the whole thing is called Small Acts, but the one of the installments that's screening at New York Film Festival is called Lover's Rock. But basically what it is, my understanding is, it's all about the West Indian community in London, just, I think, told from different points of view and things like that. And I don't know, it's just a really interesting... Potential melding of a cinematic form in that, you know, I guess kind of like Black Mirror, where the, every episode is a discrete sort of story, but there is a common linkage between the whole series. I guess maybe the Romanovs did that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But like with Stephen Queen behind the camera, like that's really interesting. So I'm very curious to see what that's going to be like. And also, I'm curious if that's going to kind of kick the door open in the future for more and more. Episodic, long-form things to be at these festivals because one of the many things you know in in our little you know sphere that's happened during this is that I think that those lines that were already plenty blurred have really really seriously eroded. Where when you're watching everything from home, what is what yeah. is the difference? But besides length, you know. Yeah. And so I I don't know. I think that like having a director like Stephen Queen or a director like Mira Nair show up at these big festivals with these big um, episodic projects. Um, they're not the first by any means, but it's just further evidence that, like, TV as we understand it is going to make its way into film festivals as we understand them.
0: Yeah, it makes you wonder if there's going to be something that comes up for Oscar consideration at the end of all this that really makes the the line feel even blurrier. Like, I think the Academy is going to work really hard to hold the line this year because hopefully by next season it won't be like this, but uh, it, it does feel like, you know, when you have Steve McQueen making a TV series at the New York Film Festival like what are you holding that line for
3: right yeah exactly other than to
0: rescue movie theaters I guess right it
3: just it starts to seem stubborn you know mm-hmm. a, a, more than anything else and and that, I don't think that's the way that anyone wants to be or be perceived uh, in this kind of current juncture in <laughs> global life
0: um, looking at the Stephen Queen announcement I mean it says the New York Film Festival is happening and they are attempting some in-person versions of it do you have any sense of what that's going to look like
3: You know, I don't because I haven't really paid close attention to those kind of announcements because who the hell knows, you know, like, like, you know, I think that like the tenant tease this summer and the spring and summer has been the ultimate example of that where it's just like, I don't, I don't really, I don't think making any firm plans or setting any firm dates for an in-person anything makes any sense right now. Um, I know New York City is doing well and like, but that's tenuous, uh, you know, as, as anything else. So. How do you feel
0: about it personally? Like, would you be excited to go to a screening that, you know, promises to have all of the the precautions in place?
3: Well, I mean, I don't want to sound irresponsible, but like, I was ready to go to Telluride, you know, <laughs> like, and like, you know, we had spoken about it at, with editors and and I had been in touch with the festival and they were like, would you want to come if it happens? And I was like, yeah, I think so. But that was also a little while ago, you know, and yeah. I've been really careful. I've, you know, been mostly sequestered and and you know, only seeing people in very limited circumstances. So it's not like I've been running around like crazy. And now I'm just like at yeah, a film festival too. But yeah. like it it felt like you know, or people if if the seats are distanced and people aren't talking, like is it going to be okay? But I think also, had if the date had gotten closer, I would have been like, no, I, I can't. That doesn't make any sense, you know?
0: Yeah, it's something you feel like you can do in, in theory, but less in practice. It's just
3: wishful thinking. I mean, like, I'm, I'm sure you feel it, too, because, like, you know, these fall things, whether we're there in person or just reading about them or whatever it is, like, I look forward to them, like, every year. They're really fun. They're yeah. a really exciting part of our job. And, like, um, they give us a lot to talk about on this show. And I think uh, uh, the 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 naive or, or stubborn part of me just wanted to think that, like, with everything in the spring derailed, like, the fall will, will, will snap yeah. us back to normal, and it's like, no, yeah. that was never going to happen. So Yeah, we all so,
0: had that fantasy at some point this year.
3: Yeah. So with New York Film Festival, like, we'll see. I would love to get back into the regular routine of, like, I've been to Manhattan once in five months. Like, I would love to get on the subway <laughs> and, like, go into the city and see a film, you know, and talk yeah. about it with somebody afterward. You know, like, that would be great. But... Uh, you know, I, I think that that's way down low on the list of priorities in terms of what needs to be done as a city and a state and a country right now.
0: So, I think the thing that I'm hoping for now is that the Oscars get to happen as an in-person event, like whether or not there are parties or anything like that. But like maybe by the time the Oscars happen in April, we can be at this point being like, wow, okay, we got through it. Like we're we're getting back to something normal. Um, and maybe by saying that out loud on this podcast, I'm going to doom it. But that might be the benchmark that I start looking for.
3: What's that old political saying as go the Oscars so go the nation
0: (laughs) yeah no I think that's I think that's right
3: yeah 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 Um, because the Oscars used to be in Ohio so
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah actually the Vanity Fair Oscar party is moving to Ohio this year I didn't think we were going to announce it here but great turns out Um, anything else
3: just really briefly, there's a Francois Ozon film called Summer of '85 that's going to be at Toronto. That's about, um, and maybe also Venice. Um, that is like a gay coming of age, maybe thriller that um, I'm very excited about. So, like, you know, all my Call Me by Your Name stands out there. Like, we have a new French version of that coming pretty soon.
0: If the Call Me by Your Name stands aren't listening to this podcast, then I don't know, guys, get get over here. This is, this is your safe space. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: Okay, so now let's listen to a conversation with two of the people who are trying to make a film festival happen, um, just like all these festivals we've been talking about. Uh, we're going to listen to my interview with Wendy Guerrero and Gina Davis of the Bentonville Film Festival. So I'm delighted to be on the line now with Wendy Guerrero, the president of programming of the Bentonville Film Festival, and Gina Davis, the, the Bentonville Film Foundation co-founder and chair. Hi, guys.
2: Hi. <laughs>
0: um well congratulations to you guys because you are about to launch this year's edition of the Bentonville Film Festival um which I imagine for a while you didn't know if that was even going to happen usually the event happens in the spring as everything was getting canceled the festival did as well um can you just kind of talk to me about what the process was of postponing the festival and then when you realized that that it could happen this year as planned or I guess not quite as planned but as a very different version of what you might normally do
2: right so well yeah we uh we realized uh I think earlier than others uh, actually that that uh, that we should uh, not hold the the festival at that time and in person, and uh, it only evolved that we decided to do it uh, virtually. and uh, uh, Wendy went through uh, a lot of steps for this process, but why don't you talk about that, Wendy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Gina is so right in in the sense that we looked at the landscape, I think it was in March when everything was kind of booming. And Arkansas was one of those hotspots. And so we just felt like it was the right decision to postpone it, you know. And then once we made that announcement, it was really kind of getting everything in line (laughs) so lots of calls you know reaching out to people who have done a virtual fest previously you know so lots of learning and just um definitely an element of fearlessness (laughs) that we had to lean into a lot and as we were deciding to to move forward you know into this unknown territory for us but as, as just a champion of these stories, look on a personal level, like looking to cinema to get us through some extremely challenging times. And me personally, I've used uh, films to be inspired, you know, to feel recognized. Um, we just felt like it was important to, to move forward in some way with, with this virtual fest. And and so here we are. Yeah. We can't stop great storytelling.
0: <laughs> I mean, when you guys were watching uh, the protest that emerged in early June as a film festival and kind of a foundation that's been focused on uh, underrepresented voices, was that uh, maybe a, a galvanizing moment for you saying, OK, we know we we need to do this this year. Like this is kind of the moment to step forward. I mean, the, the program you guys have come up with for this year, I feel like is really in line with so much of what we've been talking about the last few months.
2: Well, yeah, you know we actually have always uh done this you know we it, our design from the beginning was to be radically inclusive and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and and we certainly have been but this uh current climate obviously has uh, has reminded us just how important it is to stick with our mission, which is to elevate the voices of the filmmakers and and the stories that they that they tell it's been paramount to us. But I know that the numbers look uh, look really fantastic this year. It's, it's really awesome.
0: Yeah, Wendy, can you tell us um, a, a little bit about kind of the program that you guys do have? And like, does this feel kind of a standout even compared to previous years that you've had?
1: I do feel especially proud of this lineup. And I don't know, you know, if it was just pivoting to the virtual space and with everything going on Politically, um, we do know, you know, that we have all listened to the urgent cries for greater representation, you know, of underrepresented voices in communities for for many years. You know, we started this festival in 2015, aligning with, you know, Gina's mission of just inclusivity in general. And and I feel like in our sixth year, we're really hitting our stride in, in representation from all different areas of underrepresentation. So I feel like it's just an important time to share this program. Um, you know, we have a lot of premieres in the lineup. We have a lot of alumni that have come back again and are telling stories with us and sharing their stories with us. So I'm just really proud to see the community continue to embrace us and. Um, there needs to be a space to represent these types of stories, and we're just so proud to be able to, to have that at, at the Bentonville Film Festival.
0: Yeah, so can you just talk about how it's going to work this year? I think the question that we've been asking ourselves and people who you know normally do a lot of film festivals this time of year, like how any of this is going to work. So what are you guys anticipating in terms of how people are going to participate? And and I think you're both excited to maybe have more people participate because it's online. Um, you know, it's not a smaller version of the festival. It might actually be bigger for being virtual.
2: Yeah, well, that's a really exciting part of it is... Uh, which, which only dawned on me as we were putting this all together, is uh, the scale of it now. You know, uh, uh, film festivals are fantastically fun and, and wonderful to be a part of, but they're very insular, and uh, people just read about what movies were there and how great it was. And now anybody with a computer will be able to watch our movies. It's, um, it's stunning to think about.
1: It is. It's so fun. And, you know, I've had a lot of, we've had countless video calls and, you know, countless just had to rethink how we were going to present this entire program, not only to continue to engage with our filmmakers, because I think that's really important to give them a space to meet each other. Um, You know, a lot of the things that are being missed at physical film festivals, we're sort of trying our best to recreate some of those things here, like through happy hours and filmmaker meetups on Zooms and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like it is even more inclusive of a global audience and that we will definitely look to continue this element of the festival because I feel like it's just been a really strong and fun part of the community and what we're doing. Yeah, so...
0: Have you guys come up with a solution for Zoom fatigue to to make Zooms feel fun again? Oh,
2: God, that would be be something to come up with for sure. Now that you say that, I'm going to try to think of something.
1: Well, we are doing these breakout rooms. I don't know if you've been involved in some of these bigger gatherings, but they have hosts in different breakout rooms. And, you know, we're doing some different gift cocktail things from our sponsor, Coke, who's presenting like a little gift box so we can put cocktails together.
0: Oh, so you like mail people a gift box ahead of the the scheduled meeting?
1: Yeah, so all the filmmakers will get their little filmmaker happy hour box so we'll all be able to mix cocktails and kind of meet each other in uh, the best way we can right now. And hopefully we can gather for 2021 and put all of this behind us. But we're definitely being... um, inventive
0: (laughs) and there is a there is an in-person element somewhat in Bentonville this year right
1: there is. We have a drive-in experience that we're really excited about that Sony and Universal kind of put together for us. And there is a working drive-in uh, outside of Bentonville that has been super popular just um, this summer. We've heard yeah. that they've been sold out um, specifically at that, at that drive-in. So we're doing three nights there so people can still come and experience some of the inclusive filmmaking and, and see Gina on the big screen. Um, yeah, we're going to do A League of Their Own there and Stuart Little, so that'll be fun. So we're also doing an in-person event at uh, an airfield in Bentonville that Coca-Cola is sponsoring. Um, so it's kind of a dinner and a movie night where you can sit outside under the stars on a blanket and watch watch a film and have dinner socially distant again, we're trying to be inventive and we really want to engage the local community. They've been so supportive of us and we really want to have a presence in Bentonville. So we're excited to have those on the ground events.
0: This is not the year to tell people to come to Bentonville to come to the festival, but I do feel like Arkansas in general and Bentonville, you know, gets kind of lost in the whole sense of the rest of America being flyover country, quote unquote. Like when people get a chance to come to the Bentonville Film Festival in person, like tell me about Bentonville and why it is a great place to have this festival.
1: I just feel like I mean I'm sure Gina has her own experiences, but it just is such the the sweetest quintessential small town in America. I mean, it, to me, it feels like a movie lot. What do you think, Gina?
2: God, it really does. It looks <laughs> it looks like Disney built it. It's really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it has uh, the five and dime store and uh, uh, you know little ice cream parlors in this little town square. It's fabulous, and the local people are amazing. They like love the festival. They come to everything and uh, it's just fantastic, um, the enthusiasm they have for the festival.
1: Yeah, and I really would would encourage once everything opens up and maybe even for 2021, for people to go to the middle of the country, like Arkansas is right in the middle of the country. It's a beautiful state. Um, There's an amazing museum there called the Crystal Bridges Museum, and they just opened another contemporary art museum called the Momentary. So I feel like it is a rebirth in art and culture. You know, they have a lot of um, biking trails there. I think it's one of the biggest uh, mountain biking trails in the country. And then there's just so many amazing restaurants, like I've had such a surprise every time I go back, there's just a new um, restaurant opening with the most delicious food or a chef brought in from Nashville or California or Seattle. So I really feel like it's it's a it's the next Austin, if I if I could say that I feel like it's such an arts and culture town. And I think that once the festival is going on it's even more exciting to be there but even just outside of that it's just a it's just a fun place to explore
0: I feel like the fact that this festival is happening at all, um, you know, at the end of this summer that's been kind of long and difficult for everybody, and with so much still uncertain, like it it feels like a promise that something normal can happen, even if it's not the way that we used to. Um, Gina, from your perspective, like in Hollywood and your acting career and anything else you've witnessed, kind of uh, beyond this festival, do you see any other signs of things starting again that make you like hopeful that we can we can get out of this and maybe not go back to exactly normal, but but something that is moving, maybe? what wasn't going on two or three months ago?
2: Well, uh, I, I don't. I don't see enough um, things going into production to be able to. <laughs> yeah, do, the production's the hard, hard part. I would love to see some things go into production, uh, <laughs> but but not too early. I mean, we can't. We just can't. But uh, but uh, I, I think that the current awakening that we're having um, relating to uh, representation and. Um, and fairness and, and all that is, uh, is going to really change our culture. It's, this is a, a huge turning point, I think, um, and, and I hope. And, uh, and, I, and I hope that that will be reflected in, in our entertainments. And that's certainly our goal. I mean, we see our platform as a, a service to the industry. Here, this is, this is what representation looks like. It's not so hard.
0: Yeah. And you're I mean, Gina, your work kind of in Hollywood so much has been, I think you've said behind the scenes, like meeting with people at studios and companies and kind of working on them and their work and representation. So I imagine you're seeing the result of these conversations about inclusion more like we haven't seen all these movies or TV shows being made yet. But are the conversations that you're having like that different? Like, does it feel like people are awake now more than they were a year ago?
2: Yes, Uh, okay, let me say yes because certainly certainly more, you know, we have some new tools at my institute to um, analyze video content and also now to analyze uh, script form content. So we have a lot of studios signing up and reaching out to us to bring these to them uh, because people really, really do want to make. Change and 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 it's hard when you have unconscious bias. By the mm-hmm. way, you know, so uh, so having having help uh, with with getting it pointed out to you is uh, is is critical. And uh, yeah,
0: I, I I do feel like things are going in a positive direction. Are we at least more aware that the phrase unconscious bias exists, and, and we can tackle it from there? That at least feels like the first step is that you know that it's possible, and then you can grow from there.
2: Well absolutely and, and that's why, when I started everything uh, back in 2006, it was it was because I had noticed that um, that kids' entertainment was wildly imbalanced and, and it leaned very heavily toward male characters. and uh, I couldn't find anybody who saw what I thought I was seeing. But when I had the data done and and showed that to people, it changed everything. And so I think people who are very well-intentioned, especially people who are making kids entertainment, uh, love kids. They want to do right by them. And they couldn't see it. And so the data did everything. It just completely woke them up to like, oh, I can't actually judge this just on my own, uh, you know... uh, uh, sensibilities. I, I need help seeing what the problem is.
0: Yeah. So back to the film festival for a minute. Like, what are you guys just personally excited for people to see or events that you want to see happen? You know, everyone's got the ability to tune into this. So really, this this can be your come one, come all for whatever is the one thing you feel like no one should miss. Oh, well...
2: There's one movie I I love um, in the documentary competition. Uh, It's called Coming Clean, and it's by Andi Timoner, who's an award-winning director. And uh, it's about the opioid crisis in America, and uh, it's it's just wonderful and very uh, moving.
1: Wendy, how about you? Yeah, there's so many um, really amazing programming this year and every year, Um, but I'm going to kind of just point out some of our world premieres. Um, Charles Mudedi is uh, the director of a film called Thin Skin, which if you're into jazz or any soulful jazz music, this is surrounding a, a male lead that is kind of at a soul-sucking corporate job. And he is also a, an amazing trumpet player in Seattle's Soulful Jazz Club. So that is an incredible story um, that I would encourage everybody to go and look at. Um, our opening night film is also something that um, I think is really important, especially during this this time. It's called Invisible Portraits, and it's it talks about the otherizing and invisibleness of, of Black women in America, and she sort of reclaims the true narrative through this this documentary. It's really illuminating and inspiring, and it just is hopeful. And then Sujata Day is a director that's actually coming back with her um, feature narrative. She was she was at the festival last year with a short film that she um, directed. And she's also, uh, I don't know if you watch Insecure, but she is on that show. And, and she's making her narrative directorial debut on a film called Definition, Please. And she's also starring in it. And so it's somewhat autobiographical and it's just uh a, a family drama um, that is really identifiable and and just people setting aside their differences to help um to help each other get through challenging times so it's it's a it's a it's an inspirational story too but there's a lot of you know family um, tensions in that so that's sujata day definition please and then our yes. last world premiere is Iram Bilal. And the film is called I'll Meet You There. And it follows a Chicago policeman and his his teenage daughter um, and their long-estrained father from Pakistan. So it's kind of a a reconciliation of another family, a family movie there. Um, so those are really great films that have never been seen. So those are kind of our world premieres. And then, then the rest of the films, you know, have, have been around at maybe a few festivals. Um, you know, there's Peer Kids that I think was at Outfest um, a few months back, which is a Verite-style documentary that I would encourage a lot of people to watch. Um, there's just so much. I could go on and on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, and uh, after being kind of in our own houses for months and, like, having the same stuff to watch, the, the idea of movies that have never been seen before, it's, like, it's like weirdly thrilling. <laughs> like, maybe even more than under normal film festival circumstances. Um, to go uh, a little bit off topic for my last question, um, just because I have uh, Gina here and you are uh, a two-time Oscar winner and we are an Oscar-obsessed podcast normally, I just, like, want, personally from you, like, what do you expect to happen with the Oscars from this year. Do you have any hopes for, like, how we move forward from this as someone who kind of knows that system better than I do? Like, are we going to, is it, is it going to work out even though this movie year has been so strange?
2: Oh, man, I, you know, I don't know. I know they're, <laughs> I know they're, Feverishly working, very hard on it, and you know, um, and are being very flexible. Uh, from what I read, I'm not, uh, you know, in the in the inner workings of, of <laughs> anything. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely a challenge, but but they made a pretty immediate shift when this started happening, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm just I'm excited that they're still gonna, you know, try to do it and and make it successful.
0: I would be very sad if they canceled the Oscars. I think that would that would be when the pandemic went too far for me.
2: Oh, and what if what if people that win one next year have to have an asterisk next to their <laughs> <day or> name? <something?
0: laughs> that I think that I think everyone can can avoid. But but also like as you know, you guys both has championing, you know, films that might not get seen by more people. It does feel like this is the year that you know if the so many big blockbusters aren't coming out, like is this year for a tiny movie that came out in April that can have a big platform like that? Like I've been maintaining that hope. I don't know if you guys have thought that far ahead Mm. well yeah i didn't think of that but that's a that's that's a great thought (laughs) well then maybe we can start from here and uh and we, we each go to our respective corners and trumpet the tiny movies we want everybody to see there we
2: go um
0: well thank you guys both so much for talking to me i'm really excited to watch the film festival from afar and um for so many people to participate so and thank you guys for having the festival at all and hopefully showing the rest of us how it's done thank you
2: thanks so much
0: that does it for this week's episode. Uh, we'll be back next week as we continue to cover Emmy season and fall festival season, such as it is. Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting August for sure. In the meantime, you can find us at VanityFair.com, writing about a lot of these things that we discussed. You can find us on Twitter at LittleGoldMen, where we love to hear from you. And you can find us on our own. I am at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylos. This episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs.
3: And this week's award for the best potential October surprise goes to Katie Rich.
0: The Vanity Fair Oscar Party is moving to Ohio this year.
1: I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go there's a host, a guest, and a light QA.